Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Israelis do not know what's happening on the ground. Israelis don't understand the situation in Gaza today. Israelis don't understand what it's like to live as a Palestinian. And they only remember there are Palestinians when there's violence. I'm Mehdi Hassan. Welcome to Deconstructed. Tahrir Mahmoud Wahba was 18. Alaa Yahya Zamili was 70. Hussein Mohammed Madhi was 16. Mohammed Ibrahim Ayoub was 15. They were all unarmed and all killed over the past few weeks by Israeli snipers using live ammunition at the Israel-Gaza border. Every week, Palestinians continue to gather there as part of their ongoing Great March of Return protests. And every week, Israeli soldiers continue to shoot, murder and maim them in their hundreds and thousands. Today on Deconstructed, I'll speak to two brave Israeli activists who campaigned to protect the human rights of Palestinians and for an end to what has become the longest military occupation of the modern era. These commands are flagrantly illegal. This is not complicated. You don't need to be an IHL expert to look at this reality and immediately recognize that shooting live munition at unarmed demonstrators is absolutely unacceptable. This week, the killing fields of Gaza. Four Palestinians, including a 15-year-old boy, were killed by Israeli gunfire on Friday. At least 39 Palestinians have been killed in the four weeks of demonstrations against the Israeli blockade. The UN says there's a strong indication that the Israeli army has used excessive force. So let's be clear about what's going on in Gaza. Almost 2 million people, including 1.3 million refugees, crammed into a 140-square-mile strip. They're being shot at and killed on a weekly basis while protesting. And remember, they're not trying to invade and occupy Israel. They're trying to free themselves from Israel's invasion and occupation of Gaza. The Gaza Strip is occupied territory. It's not contested. It's not disputed. It's occupied militarily, illegally, in defiance of international law. And don't take my word for it. Here's the spokesman for the UN Secretary General speaking seven years after the Israelis did their so-called disengagement, their pullout from Gaza in 2005. The Gaza Strip continues to be regarded as part of the occupied Palestinian territory. In fact, don't just take the UN's word for it either. Just use your own common sense. The Israelis say they pulled out of Gaza in 2005, pulled out all their troops, all their illegal settlers. Therefore, ergo, Gaza isn't occupied anymore, which sounds reasonable, except for the fact that Israel, with the help of Egypt, today controls Gaza's borders, Gaza's airspace, Gaza's territorial waters and Gaza's population registry. Yeah, the population registry. Israel literally decides who does and does not get counted as a resident of Gaza. That's occupation. In fact, the Israelis decide who can go in and out of the Gaza Strip and what can go in and out of the Gaza Strip. 
At one stage, they banned that well-known bomb-making ingredient, cilantro. Yeah, cilantro. Why cilantro? They banned cilantro from going into the strip, which is why even pro-Israeli Western leaders such as the former Conservative Prime Minister of Great Britain, David Cameron, have said, Gaza cannot and must not be allowed to remain a prison camp. But it is a prison camp, an open-air prison camp, in which the prison guards have carte blanche to kill whoever they like, whenever they like, wherever they like. Because all the people there, the people who live there, farm there, study there, play there, protest there, are Hamas. They're all terrorists. That's what we're told. What we've seen is a violent riot in its clearest form. The purpose of this riot, as per what Hamas is saying, they want to erase the border, they want to penetrate into Israel. Hamas engineered an event where they wanted thousands of people to swarm into Israel, to overrun Israel, to commit acts of terror. It's easy to kill unarmed protesters if you demonize them first, right? If they're all terrorists, if they're all Hamas. Take, for example, the claim from Eli Hazan, foreign affairs spokesman for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party, who said, and I quote, all 30,000, all 30,000 Gazan protesters, all 30,000 are legitimate targets. Or Israeli Defense Minister Avidor Lieberman's claim that, quote, there are no innocent people in Gaza. 1.9 million people live in Gaza. But according to the Defense Minister of Israel, none of them are innocent, apparently. That is the language of genocide. It is. In fact, the Israeli response to people pointing out that they're killing nonviolent Palestinians in Gaza, hundreds of feet away from their beloved fence, their response is so extreme, so amoral, so tone deaf, that even some of their most loyal supporters are no longer buying it. One of the big stories right now was the recent decision by the Israeli-American actress Natalie Portman, Queen Amidala herself, to turn down Israel's equivalent of the Nobel Prize because she says she doesn't want to look like she's endorsing Benjamin Netanyahu and his government. Her representative told the Genesis Prize that recent events in Israel have been extremely distressing to her and she does not feel comfortable participating in any public events in Israel. Israeli nationalists have lost their minds over Portman's snub. One member of the Knesset of Israel's parliament said she should be stripped of her citizenship. A member of Netanyahu's cabinet said she was guilty of, wait for it, Wait for it. She was guilty of anti-Semitism. Meanwhile, in the killing fields of Gaza, the Palestinian bodies continue to pile up, young and old alike. And the world just doesn't seem to care. But you know what? These deaths have to matter to us. If you're American, they have to especially matter to you because your government gives around $3 billion of military aid to Israel every single year. The United States is far and away the biggest supplier of arms and military equipment to the Jewish state. So those Israeli snipers shooting protesters in the head, shooting kids in the head, shooting journalists wearing press jackets, they were bought and paid for by Uncle Sam. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but as taxpayers in the US, we all have Palestinian blood on our hands, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not. They are not care about dying because they are dying slowly, day by day in Gaza. So I, I talk with many of those demonstrators. They said that we are ready to die now. Now, the Israelis say this is all fake news. These are all lies and smears. They're all made up by the Palestinians who are anti-Semitic, by the Arab countries who are anti-Semitic, by European governments who are anti-Semitic, by the left, which is deeply anti-Semitic. The problem with this Israeli propaganda, and that's what this is, it's propaganda, 
is that it isn't just Palestinian human rights groups or Western human rights groups such as Amnesty or Human Rights Watch who have exposed Israeli abuses and war crimes in the occupied territories, but it's Israeli human rights groups too. Organizations like Breaking the Silence, an Israeli NGO which offers former Israeli soldiers the opportunity to confidentially break their silence over what they did in the occupied territories. And of course, the legendary Bet Salem, the Israeli Information Center for Human Rights, which has been documenting abuses against the occupied Palestinian people for nearly 30 years now. Forget for a moment what Palestinians are saying about Israeli human rights abuses. Just listen to what Israelis are saying about Israeli human rights abuses. My guests today are two personal heroes of mine because they put up with abuse, hate, death threats from their fellow Israelis on a near daily basis in order to stand up for human rights, specifically for the human rights of Palestinians living under Israeli occupation. Avner Gavayahu is a former Israeli paratrooper who served in the occupied West Bank as a sniper team sergeant, but who now is executive director of Breaking the Silence. Hagai Al-Ad is a veteran human rights activist, former gay rights activist, former head of Israel's version of the ACLU, the Association for Civil Rights in Israel, and since 2014, executive director of Bet Salem. Recently, he and his organization provoked uproar in Israel when they called on Israeli soldiers at the Gaza border to refuse illegal orders to shoot to kill. Avner Gavayahu and Haggai Al-Ad, thank you both for joining me on Deconstructed. Haggai, can I start with you? You're the executive director of Betzalem. Tell our listeners what Betzalem is, what it does, why it exists. Betzalem means in Hebrew, in the image, comes from the Bible. The idea is to express something that is fundamentally universal and Jewish at the same time, that all human beings were created in the image of God. We are the Israeli Information Center for Human Rights in Occupied Territories. We've been around for almost 30 years now, documenting facts on the ground, analyzing their meaning, and advocating for an end for the occupation. And Avner, you're also in the human rights field, but Breaking the Silence is a very different type of organization when it comes to documenting human rights abuses. You published the anonymous testimonies of former Israeli soldiers uh, who served in the occupied territories. What has the response to that been like? You're a former soldier yourself. What's the response been to your testimony and the testimonies of others who have come to Breaking the Silence? Yeah, so we're definitely not a classic human rights organization in that sense. And we've been around for 13 years, over 1,000 soldiers, 1,100 soldiers who have met with us um, and uh, shared their experiences, but not only in an attempt to share, but also to change. I think that most people will disagree with our analysis of what we did and what we saw, but it's very difficult to disagree and to disregard what so many soldiers are talking about. The day-to-day routine of the occupation, barging into homes, arrests, checkpoints. I mean, that's really the the bread and butter. That's the core of breaking the silence. 
we can't really not talk about Gaza first. What's going on in Gaza? What's been going on in Gaza in recent weeks? Uh, the violence at that border uh, with Israeli soldiers shooting uh, unarmed protesters. We've seen videos of people fleeing the border, being shot in the back, literally. The Israelis say, this is us defending our border from infiltrators, from people trying to get through with burning tires and Molotov cocktails. Haggai, how do you respond to that as someone who's in, right in the heart of this debate inside of Israel? These commands are flagrantly illegal. They should not have been given and they should not be followed. This is not complicated. You don't need to be an IHL expert to look at this reality and immediately recognize that shooting live ammunition at unarmed demonstrators that are not endangering anyone is absolutely unacceptable. In the past, from what, from what I knew and taught my soldiers and what we knew from our testifiers, was that once a Palestinian does not pose an immediate threat, you will not shoot. So if a Palestinian is holding a Molotov cocktail and is about to throw it, then official rules are you can shoot at him, right, to stop that immediate threat. Now, after he threw that the Molotov cocktail, you are not allowed to shoot him because he's not risking anyone. Mm -hmm. And from what we hear now, soldiers are actually told that they can shoot after the action. Yeah. So it's much more of a punitive action. Well, we saw that video we saw that video action. that emerged recently of the Israeli sniper who shot the guy at distance. All of the all of his friends were cheering using all sorts of epithets. And the Israelis the Israeli military's response was, well the guy he may have looked unarmed, but earlier in the day he was inciting violence which is a very weird justification for shooting someone, that they were doing something in the past. When I saw the video of the, the soldiers on the border and I heard the soldiers cheer mm. when the Palestinian went down, I could sympathize with them. I could understand what they felt because I was a soldier there, because I understand what it means when you train for something for a year plus, right? So once you succeed, you're happy. I think that uh, the cheers that got a lot of the headlines, at least mm. inside Israel, I think were not the point. The point was the orders that they got. You guys at B'Tselem put out a statement recently saying Israeli soldiers should disobey any orders to shoot Palestinian protesters unless until they pose an imminent threat. Um, number one, what's the reaction to that statement being like from inside the IDF as far as you're aware? And number two, what kind of moral state do an armed forces does an army have to find itself in that it's being told disobey orders you could argue you shouldn't have to tell people that you need to disobey an order to shoot an unarmed person yeah i, I agree i think we're in a very bad spot i think we've just stated the obvious and if you're in a situation which stating the obvious takes courage you're in a very bad spot. Mm. This is not complicated. This should not be difficult. This should be self-evident. And in fact, this is not only us saying that, but this is based uh, on one of the most famous precedents in the history of the country from 1956, uh, from the verdict in the Kafar Kassa massacre, that soldiers are duty-bound to disobey flagrantly illegal commands. And there's a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. 
With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. An appreciation in that verdict that circumstances can be complicated. We're not talking about these. We're talking about issues in which it is self-evident that there's the language of the, that decision is that there's a black flag of illegality waving above the command. Any decent human being would be able to identify that. You know, there, there is no space um, for asking big moral questions. And if we expect soldiers to have this space to you know, you know, contemplate on these big dilemmas, then we're delusional. In order to have soldiers stop being violent to Palestinians, we have to end the occupation because occupation itself is inherently violent. Mm. In order to fundamentally change that, then you have to change. So a lot of people listening way. to you right now, hearing you speak in this way, will wonder, well, how did you come to that realization? Because you said earlier you were justifying it as a soldier. What was the moment where you thought, okay, this is not right. I can't justify that. This is inexcusable. So I think there were a few a few moments to me that I t- that I sort of keep coming back to. But one of the defining moments was a house that I entered in in Annapolis, uh, a house of a physician. It was actually called the house of the physician. We didn't know who the physician was. We just knew he had uh, the right windows in the right place. Um, and we we get to his house in the middle of the night. Um, uh, you know, park our jeep not far away. The driver lets us off. We get run run up the stairs and uh, start pounding on the door. And before we break the door in, this guy in his eighties, I think, or, or even older, opens the door and physically tries to prevent us from entering his house. So we do what what we're supposed to do: is we enter the house and we pin him to the wall. We blindfold him and we we cuff him. And um, we we throw him and his wife and his daughter into the room. And this was a moment in my service where the justifications didn't work as as much as they did. And I think my conscience kicked in in a way that I, you know, leaving a, a few shekels or cleaning up after we entered the house didn't do it for me. And uh, I, I said, I have to do something with this. And again, it was much more about my personal feeling about what I was doing. And I sat down and had the conversation with him, you know, took off his handcuff and his blindfold, put down my gun. And in this house in Abilis, this 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 physician managed to open up for me uh, his reality. Every other night, his house is taken over. His fear of going through checkpoints, the fear of his family, the fact that what I thought I was doing and isolating it for myself, this was my actions that I was doing, he managed to connect the puzzle. And in that house, I really managed to humanize all the people I dehumanized. And I remember thinking about this with people who served with me, I could hardly remember faces of Palestinians that I occupied. And this physician from Nablus, I'll never forget. What, what people also should realize in this description is first how legal this actually is from Israel's perspective. I don't want anyone to think that this just happens be, happened because... Some unruly of, soldiers of, got yeah, carried yeah, away. That, that's not the case. This is fundamental to the system, to the reality. According to military law, almost any soldier can enter almost any Palestinian home anywhere, anytime. You do not need probable cause. You do not need a search warrant. This is the way things are. And it happens all they the time. They own the place. 
Yeah, absolutely. If you're a Palestinian living under occupation, then you know that at any point in time, this can happen all the time. Your life, even your home, is absolutely exposed. And if you're traveling from one point in the West Bank to another point in the West Bank, you never know how long it's going to take you. Israelis do not know what's happening on the ground. Israelis don't understand what uh, uh, annexation of Area C means. Israelis don't understand the situation in Gaza today. Israelis don't understand what it's like to live as a Palestinian. And they only remember there are Palestinians when there's violence. Uh, and, and I think Gaza is just one of the, the, the saddest but best examples. Uh, high-ranking Israeli generals are talking about these reoccurring wars in Gaza as mowing the lawn, going in every couple of years, going in and mowing the lawn. And this has been sort of step two of how we've been occupying Gaza, not only from the surroundings, but we also have these reoccurring operations. A lot of defenders of Israel, Haggai, especially here in the West, would argue that there's this unfair attention put on Israel's human rights record. You say that you want to bring international attention, international pressure to bear on Israel. A lot of the defenders of Israel internationally, their argument is, well, hold on, what about Syria? Or what about Iran? Or what about Saudi Arabia? Look at the region Israel's in. Israel is a much, has a much better record than many of these countries. What do you say to them as someone whose job it is to literally document human rights abuses by Israel and not by any other country? What do you say to them? The excuses of it's worse elsewhere, so let's ignore what's happening in in my country. It's absolutely unacceptable. It's never been convincing. In fact, the situation in Israel and Palestine is unique in the sense that it is so thoroughly documented, has been allowed to go on for such a very long time, mm. and throughout this period, somehow we've managed to get away with it in Israel because we have on the one side of the green line military occupation, oppression of millions of people with no political rights for more than half a century. And at the same time, we're still considered internationally a Western democracy with all of the perks that go mm -hmm. with that. That's the sweet spot. And that's exactly what the Israeli leadership is selling successfully to the Israeli public, that we can have it both ways. And you are still seen as a democracy, as you say. Uh, Israel claims to be the only democracy in the Middle East. Uh, apologies to Tunisia, Lebanon, Iraq, and others. But in most democracies, human rights groups don't find themselves under assault from the government, targeted by legislation uh, in the legislature. You do in Israel right now. A lot of people are not aware of what's going on with Israeli human rights groups, Israeli NGOs. Uh, explain what's going on and why. There's a reality of... Uh describing the opposition and specifically human rights organizations as traitors, and then also calling for their criminal investigation, you know, may sound familiar to listeners from various countries around the world, including the US, uh, Hungary, and other countries in which uh, authoritarian governments are on the rise. But hey, Israel has been there way before. We have some significant head start in that, in that sense. And the uniqueness of the, the Israeli condition in this regard is that it is both inspired by the occupation, because if for 50 years we've been defining any Palestinian opposition to the occupation as incitement, then why wouldn't we start defining Israeli opposition to the occupation as incitement and gradually closing the gap between the two sides of the green line, but in the wrong direction? And Avila, when you, when you hear... Avador Lieberman, the defense minister, saying you're a traitor, the prime minister attacking organizations like yours and Betsalem's. Uh, you know, these are mainstream politicians, it's not the fringes. How hard does it make your job? How hard is it to do your job when you're getting that kind of high level 
mainstream criticism and accusations nearly every day. You know, I, I always ask, uh, I ask myself, and we think we sort of joke about this amongst the uh, amongst the members of Breaking the Silence. At what point did we become traitors? Right? Was it you know the first time we read a left wing blogger as soldiers? Was it when we read, you know, some book when we were guarding that this idea popped into our head and we started questioning what we're doing? Were we tra- traders then as well? When we shared our experiences coming back home, speaking to some of our family members, were we traders then? Or did we only become traders once we, you know, took upon this cloak of, of, of breaking our silence publicly? I mean, I think that the, the, the truth of the matter is that there are soldiers who are probably on the border now um, who will be part of breaking the silence in the future. So are they already treacherous at this point? And I think part of what the right has done is create a a toxic environment that um, I think will backlash um, in the future. But but at this point, it's it's pretty much uh, um, destroying what's left of the liberal values in in our country. That's, and that's the bit I think really gets to me and breaks my heart that in reality has this quality of catching up with you. So even if one sets aside all the propaganda and the lies, you know, I have to ask my, my, my fellow Israelis, you know, believe what you want about breaking the silence, B'Tselem, other Israeli human rights organizations, and so on. Fine. There are facts. There is a reality. We didn't invent it. There are 13 million people in that small piece of land. No one is going anywhere. How is the future going to look like if things are not changed dramatically so that they are based on justice and rights. You, and if and if that does not happen, then and that's the question you're never going to get a fair answer to. In what future will the next generation live in? And Avna, your organization is literally called Breaking the Silence, the silence about the occupation. What happens though, and sorry to be a, a downer on this conversation, when you have an Israeli government that is benefiting from legislation passed in the Israeli parliament, which I believe could even prevent you from being allowed to speak in schools or colleges. You wouldn't be allowed, you and Haggai, to go into a school or college and tell them what you know about the occupation. Surely that will cripple your efforts. It's true that there are legislations also to attempt to ban us from, from schools in different in different levels. And it will be interesting for them to really try to to, to, to pin it on us because they're pretty vague. It's not the anti-Betzalem or anti-breaking the silence, even though rhetorically that's what they're saying. It'll be difficult for them to defend it in courts. But more interestingly is even though this has been in discussion and there's pushback on, on schools that invite us, we're still invited. And we had this pretty amazing experience a few um, months ago where uh, high school st- students invited us and their principals were actually scared from the pushback. And they decided to cancel. But the students themselves said, you know what? We're going to meet them in our own time in our own home. Wow. 18, 17, 18 year olds. Like, how do you motivate 17, 18 year olds in this time and age to do anything? And they, on their own time, out of school, said, we'll invite you. So they're closing the door. We're going in through the window. And, and that will continue in the same way that soldiers will continue coming with all this pressure. And as long as there'll be an occupation, they'll try to do that. There'll be people who want to hear. One last question to both of you. Israelis who don't like what you do, who don't want to hear your message, uh, they will say, listen to them going to the United States, going on podcasts, criticizing our military, criticizing our government, being so negative. They're haters of Israel. They're not patriots. What do you say to them? What everyone at B'Tselem is doing, both Palestinians and Israelis, 
is done out of the love and realization that all 13 million people between the river and the sea are created in the image of God, exactly as the name of the organization is. And out of love to all of these people, we are never going to stop doing what we're doing until the occupation ends. I mean, I think for us, the, the same reason that we, we initially joined the army to protect our country, I think today when we're looking at what we're doing is, you know, we're, we're actually doing exactly that. But, you know, for, for your question, you know, we're sitting here in, in D.C., As an Israeli soldier, I walked around the streets of Nablus and Jenin with an M16 that said on it, Colt, property of the USA government. So it's not about getting the international community involved. The international community is involved, right? The, the US, the EU, deeply involved. The question is, what do they do with that involvement? And when I'm thinking about uh, the American ambassador to Israel, you know, David Friedman, who's been a longtime settler supporter, who in Bethel in a settlement in the West Bank, there's actually a building bearing his name um, on private Palestinian land, not nonetheless. Uh, I'm thinking about the, the audacity, what we call the chutzpah of the Israeli right and the international right supporting that cause. And, and what, what we need in our camp are uh, people that, that know right from wrong and saying our way to support Israel is by fighting the occupation. Let me just say this to both of you. As a journalist who's been uh, following this issue and writing about uh, this conflict for many years now, um, the work that both of your organizations do is invaluable to a lot of us uh, around the world. So keep doing what you do. It's also a reminder that even in the darkest of periods, the darkest of places, people like yourselves are willing to speak out and literally break the silence. Avner Gavayahu, uh, Haggai Al-Ad, thank you both for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Haggai Alad from Bet Salem, the Israeli Information Center for Human Rights, and Avner Gavayahu from Breaking the Silence. And that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept and is distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Zach Young. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. Lital Molad is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every Friday. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice. And if you're new to podcasts, We've got all the info there. Please do subscribe, whether you're on an iPhone or an Android or whatever. That means this podcast will automatically download to your device every time a new episode is available. If you're subscribed already, please do also leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. Thanks so much. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.